Hi, everyone. This is Corel Cooper, co-host of Minority Report podcast. We hope that everyone is staying safe and healthy out there as we continue to deal with uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And with that said, back in uh, February, before the pandemic hit here in the U.S., uh, Eric and I had a chance to connect with Kirk McDonald, uh, Chief Business Officer at Xander. Uh, great conversation about Kirk's background, culture, career path, thoughts on DNI, and much more. So uh, listen to this episode. Hope you enjoy it. And please uh, subscribe and leave us a comment. Thanks and talk to everyone soon. How you doing, Kirk? I'm pretty good, Eric. Good to see you. Likewise. Well, always a pleasure. Yeah, same here, man. All right. <laughs> Likewise. You know, uh, it's great having you here today. We, we, we'd love to know a little bit more just sort of about your, your background. And, you know, our, our guests, we love to talk with them about how they got started in media. But but uh, really, tell us a little bit about where you were born and raised and, and maybe a little bit about how you grew up. Oh, sure. So uh, I've been challenged recently on this and that people are calling me a Jafakin. That is really insulting to a born and bred Jamaican because I was born and raised in Jamaica in the West Indies, went to Arden High School in Jamaica and uh, came here just around 12 years old. And I've been a transplanted New Yorker ever since, but at, at my core roots, straight up Yachty. That's awesome. I was going to say, I can, I can hear the accent coming out as soon as you start talking about <laughs> yeah, Jamaica. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, uh, you know, tell us about sort of like your sense of culture and identity and how that may sort of growing up there and then, you know, spending so much of your time here as well, coming over at 12. Like, how, how has that sort of shaped uh, sure, who you, you are? Know, I, I recently said this to, to someone, and, and I believe that it is the experience of a lot of immigrants, which is that I'm an American by choice, my family's choice, which was a pursuit of the American dream. But it didn't mean that we abandoned you know, our roots or abandoned who we were. It was just this realiz realization that the promise of economic opportunity and changed lives was available. And if we worked hard enough that it was available for us to change, you know, our futures, change our outcomes, our horizon. Um, so that was a great opportunity. And my parents, you know, went through a tremendous amount of sacrifice to make that possible. And I'm forever grateful to them for all that they did and created, created a sense of appreciation, but also probably has created the determination and hard work that I hope has helped propel some of what is, you know, the career I sit, you know, inside of today. But, you know, the Jamaican experience or for immigrants uh, from the West Indies, you know, is one still of a lot of pride in our in our roots and our culture, right? Um, just I, I'm very proud of everything that is Jamaican about me. But knowing that experience and then experiencing America from the perspective of New York, um, especially when I got here, was a big cultural shift. You know, at that time, there was still a divide between, you know, Black Americans and what were West Indian Blacks or, you know, uh, Jamaican Blacks. And those were some interesting experiences to go through. I think they've only made me stronger and more committed to the fact that, you know, we are, I love the Jamaican motto is that we are out of many one people. Um, and it's not just one black people, it's just one people. Like we all still bleed the same color. So that's been part of me, you know, growing up and I still carry it today. You mentioned career. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you do here at Xander? Sure. Sure. So I'm very fortunate to have been here from the very beginning when we were AT&T advertising and analytics. So for those who don't know what Xander is, we're 
the advertising division, the advertising company that sits inside of AT&T as all of AT&T, which has been a leader in telecommunications um, with the, you know, the best uh, connectivity network in America to then really become more of a modern media company. And as a modern media company, the most sort of demonstrative action was the acquisition of Time Warner, which is now Warner Media. That Warner Media asset, lots of consumers are very familiar with. Everything from our content out of Warner Brothers, from the Batman content all the way through Game of Thrones and HBO, and now anticipating our excitement around what will be the launch of our OTT service with HBO Max. So very exciting things happening Mm -hmm. there. At the same time, though, the company also knew that it could stand up a new perspective on advertising. Advertising enriched by data, advertising done in a way that feels less interruptive, more in tune with a consumer's content pattern or interests. So if we could actually make advertising more relevant, more specific, more timely, couldn't that be a great purpose and objective for the organization at the same time, lean into all the resources that is this amazing 140-plus-year-old company, AT&T? And that's what is that's what is Xander. That objective, that mission, that purpose is the company Xander. So we announced the brand um, in September of uh, 2018, and we've been operational on top of some assets that were built up in some prior businesses, the AT&T AdWorks business, over the last year and a half really have been working to work tightly with our Warner Media colleagues to really enrich the offerings that we bring to market for, uh, for buyers of media. So it's Congratulations. Fun. It's really yeah. exciting. Really, really congratulations, Kirk. Um, you know, you, you talked a lot about Xander, the mission, the purpose. What are you most excited about? What do you love most about our, our industry in general, our space? <laughs> you know, the thing that I love the most about our industry is that it has not stayed the same for more than a 18-month period, probably <laughs> since the Netscape launched a browser <laughs> yeah. in 1995, yeah. right, or 1996. So being part of the, you know, the old crew that was in digital media early, just watching this industry change, mm. everything from where ads get placed, how ads get placed, separating ad delivery from ad decisions with programmatic advertising, recognizing the importance of mobile in that process, really beginning to understand that, you know, native advertising was just another introduction of what will eventually be seen in history as a rich media format. Mm. But truthfully, those rich media companies have now become experts of the deconstruction of a media asset into its component parts and its reassembly in new environments. Mm -hmm. That's right. Really technical stuff, Mm. but it's creative um, and it's commercial. Yeah. Um, So how could you not be excited about something that brings together, that brings engineering and coding to life in its experience for the consumer Mm -hmm. and its commercial value for a company and to sit at the you know, the center or the, 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 the moment where a lot of those things are innovating, I feel very, very fortunate because consumer experiences and technology advancements just are not slowing down. Mm. Um, so it's, cool. it's like left brain, right brain. It is left yeah. brain, yeah. right yeah. brain, right. brain. Like w- yeah. name another industry that's having this much disruption and innovation at the same time. Mm. And the same thing that is both, you know, the excitement of the industry is its greatest frustration at the same time because I wish we had all the answers, right? right? right. 
but I, I welcome being surrounded by or trying to surround myself with people like you cats or anybody else where we don't necessarily agree that we have the answers, but we agree that the dialogue and the collective that's wisdom right. of getting together is going to get it there. Mm-hmm. So that's been a lot of fun for me. Awesome. And then, you know, in terms of, of your own personal career accomplishments, uh, you know, when I, when I look at you, you've been a leader in the space uh, in many different areas, right? The technology piece, driving diversity and inclusion, a lot of thought leadership. What are you most proud of? Well, you know, I I don't know that I could uh, pick a thing that I'm most proud of. I, it can be a couple. Well, if we're going to do a couple. Um, uh, I am, you know, I'm, I'm proud of anything I've contributed to some answer that lasted 18 months because mm. it's all mm. 18 months, right? Mm. Yeah. In 18 months, we do something different. I don't know that, that I've done anything other than just contributed my part of the conversation on all the topics. So as the industry innovate, you know, I remember being there before there was an IAB and being a part of that. So now that I get to sit on the IAB executive committee is exciting because I was there in the beginning. The fact that, you know, when, when I started in media and advertising, there were fewer people of color and there are more now. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not done but right. there are, I see more different, more different shades of advertising now than I did when I started. Mm-hmm. That means we've made progress. And the fact that I've been a part of initiatives, non-for-profits that have tried to actually fix the pipeline issue or create mentorship programs, I'm just excited about any contributions done along the way. And if it has caused a door to be open mm-hmm. in product innovation, a door to be open in commercial monetization or a door to be left open around diversity and inclusion, mm-hmm. then hooray. I still want to put a lot of work into making tomorrow my best day of work, mm-hmm. but also put a lot of work in making tomorrow sort of my best day of contribution if I can around any of the things that are important to me. And it's not just DNI for race, it's DNI for gender. Right, right. Um, it's DNI for backgrounds mm-hmm. um, and perspectives. So I know that I wasn't the model. I wasn't typical when I got into ad sales. I hope that if I left anything behind, I helped some managers who took chances on me. Mm-hmm. I've left the impression that sometimes the not typical decision is a great way to go because a lot of different thinking and innovation can come from that. So hopefully that's some of it mentioned some of the early days, you know, in, in advertising. And did you ever personally experience any moments where you didn't feel like, you know, a part of the group or discrimination or anything like that? I'm about to chuckle out loud. Did I fear it? It's amazing. You know, it, it happened way too often. And I've said this in past when I've been talked about this, where I get emotional if I think back to you know, being in international marketing and mm. having something said that was not like sensitive or about who I was mm-hmm. or even working with people who I know to be really giving generous people with their time and energy and their commitments, but them being unconscious of the biases that they expressed in a joke or a comment. And I wasn't an oversens- overly sensitive person, but when you're the only person at a sales conference in Palm Springs in, you know, in the early 2000s, you know, at a five-star hotel and restaurant, and I'll leave all the brands out to be safe, mm-hmm. and you're the only person in that restaurant that is 
of your skin complexion that is not working there as a bell person or, you know, or as, as a, as a cleanup person, you, you already have, your nerves are on edge, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And this, this sense of, you know, of not being supposed to be in the room, right? Which is captured in so many books about and articles about imposter syndrome has been unfortunately for not just me, but for many, a part of our narrative, our professional narrative where I'm still at times in rooms where I go, hey, I'm the only one like me here, then I must be an imposter because something or someone else here should look like me. Um, So yeah, it's and I've had blatant acts of racism and or discrimination, and I've had unconscious bias from people that are still great friends today. And at some point in our relationship, the reason we're friends, I eventually had an opportunity to circle back and share with them what they said and what was hurtful or what we could learn from it. But yeah, you know, unfortunately, that sense of sort of imposter syndrome still plagues, I think, everyone. I think, again, women leaders face it. People of diverse backgrounds Mm -hmm. face it. And... I can't wait for it to not be prevalent. Yeah. I can't wait for it to go away. You know, and thank that, you that's for your honesty future, on that. So. Because a, a big reason, actually, why Crawl and I started this podcast to be able to talk with other folks is that you know we have been in that position before, right. in the Past, and we realized like, hey, you know, there's there's other folks like us, and then if we could have an opportunity to sort of talk with other folks, and you mentioned you know sort of figuring out how to sort of get over that and overcome mm-hmm. that. You know that that would be huge. So thank you for your honesty on that because it's it's also a topic that's hard for some folks to talk about. So I'm curious about your mentorship now. You you know you're active in a lot of different ways to actually be able to help uh, people. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Um, you know how you help others and mentor others and maybe groups you're you're active with. Uh, sure. So you know the biggest challenge for me now is I I everybody who works with me. The team laughs. I keep talking about this phrase, which is, you know, try to make things both scalable and repeatable. It's kind of the thing. And they they tease me because I say it so often, but it's what I think about often. I think about that for mentorship as well and my contribution. Whatever that is, I'm challenged with its scalability and its repeatability. So I've been involved in non-for-profits. I'm still involved as a co-chair of an important one to me, the mouse.org group. Our focus is on how do you actually change perspective earlier on? So K through 12, from kindergarten on, what are we doing to actually give underserved communities, underserved schools, the resources that are simply not, some, sometimes not afforded them so that those kids really have a different picture of what they can be down the road? Tremendous. And we bring technology to the table. We bring coding to the table to do that. How can knowledge around STEM courses early on do that? That's one of the non-for-profits. I've also been a part of starting another initiative, which really focused on inclusion, diversity, quality, and awareness. How how do we do that? Um, I do mentor and pick up mentees, even though I'm still uncomfortable with the thought of myself as a mentor, simply because in every situation I've worked with a mentee, I think I've learned more from them than they have learned from me. So Mm. I just think it's a peer relationship whenever Mm -hmm. someone has been kind enough to, to say, hey, listen, I'd love for you to spend time with me. Scaling that has become very hard because there are a finite number of hours in the day. And last time I checked, I got to make sure the day job still covers <laughs> off of what it does. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I have family that I want to make sure that I, I give them you know, their fair, if not their unfair amount of time because that's 
that's not right, nothing else actually works out. So I don't know that I've solved scaling and repeating mentorship. I do know that we should all work towards finding ways to grow it. So whether it's the non-for-profit mouse and our work to really get to tens of thousands of students, my challenge to the organization is always not what can we do for 10, but what can we do for 10,000? Like how, what is a way to codify whatever we're offering in a package that we can unpack it for more people. Mm. Um, if we can do that on the mentorship side, I think that's important. Um, if not, it's a lot of rhetoric. And we have to talk a lot for our work, but ultimately I, I want to do something. And so if we, can, if we can get some work done, that's better. Kirk, where do you draw inspiration from? You know, I'm, I am a true extrovert. So any group that gets together that is rallied around a cause, mm-hmm just feeds my energy. And as long as everyone's rallied around a cause. So if we actually want to do something together, it energizes me. Um, Similarly, I'm motivated around my family. I'm a person of deep faith. So I'm I'm in church every weekend. I'm a Sabbath keeper. So I go on Saturdays. I go um, with my family. And that's another great place of sort of like resting my mind, Mm. getting away from everything, and then recharging, and then the week comes back ahead. But anything that feels purpose-driven that is about a cause really energizes me. And I get, you know, I get really wound up and spun up on, all right, how can I contribute? It's also helped me too. It's helped me to begin to say no a lot. Mm. Because if I know I can't help you, I'm more comfortable saying, Saying I can't help on that. Mm. But I want to watch you do what you do. So yeah. then I, I back away from those things because, you know, I, there's no reward in claiming that I'm a part when I'm not contributing. Gotcha. Gotcha. One fun question. I love asking every guest we have on the show. Give me three apps on your phone that you regularly <laughs> use and it can't be email and it cannot be calendar. Three apps on the phone that I regularly use. This could get tricky. Man, you ask that That's why I love too. asking this question. Wow. Um, I am a regular user, but you know, that changes. Mm-hmm. So it changes over time. Whatever I'm playing as sort of my distraction game changes, but I'm a big Formula One fan. Oh, really? So okay. I spend... Seventy nine ninety nine. Don't tell my wife for it. Well, the Formula One app. Oh jeez. Yeah, would yeah, like who pays eighty bucks a year for Formula One TV? Um, but an indication of where we're going around our content consumption, right? Mm. So passion driven content consumption. And I'm a you know focus group of one, but because of my passion for Formula One, who's your um, driver? Huh? Who's your driver? Lewis Lewis Hamilton. Hey, uh, Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> you got Jamaican roots. How we can you do about that? So um, I am constantly in the Formula One app. I am probably also regularly in not any of the generics. Um, right now, there's a, a golf game, and I'm going to look up its name. It's called Golf Clash mm-hmm. that has um, that has me downtime. So if you anyone who sees me in a meeting and see me constantly look at my phone, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually not texting or emailing. I'm in a tournament on the West Coast in Golf Clash. Um, so there's a game. There's some entertainment and. Work-wise, you know, and I'm just an avid user of all of the news apps. So I'm a little addicted to news and politics. And I'm I'm sorry to to say this because you're going to kind of go, it's totally pandering, but CNN is live and on all the time. So I'm heavy into my CNN app. Yep. Well, Kirk, thanks for joining us today. 
we're grateful for your time and, and thanks for serving as an inspiration for many. So thanks for joining us and uh, all of the listeners. Thank you for spending some time with us and you can find us where you find all of your audio. Thanks.